Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. I congratulate you. I've never heard of that one. That is a good one. I mean, I've heard many objections. I've been doing this for years. Uh, I take my hat off to you. I know you've answered almost all of them, so I try, I try I, to work never, real hard to come up with a weird one. I've never answered that one. <laughs> Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, Liberty lovers and Liberty curious and anybody else who happened to stumble onto this program. This is the original, the OG, the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, the show that I, Mark Clare, have been hosting and producing for a little over four years. My God, it's mind-blowing. It's crazy. It's wild. And one of the first guests I ever had is coming back on the show today in just a little bit. But first, I want to make sure you know where to find the show notes for today's show, which you can find over at lionsofliberty.com slash 315, because this is indeed the 315th episode of this flagship program. But as I mentioned, this is not the only show here at Lions of Liberty. We have a great libertarian variety show for you. Every single Wednesday, you're going to get a weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty from my man, Brian McWilliams. He leaves no stone unturned and unranted at in the uh, the liberty culture war. And of course, every single Friday, you've got John Odermatt tackling that broken criminal justice system in Felony Friday. So be sure to hit that subscribe button. And while you're there on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you it is you listen to the show, be sure to go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a great review. I hate asking for that all the time, but no, I don't. Not really, because that is the easiest, cheapest, yet still very effective way that you can help support the show. Of course, you can also join the Lions of Liberty Pride and get access to all sorts of exclusive bonus content. I'm actually going to post some bonus content today after this show. It's a bonus clip that I did a little over a year ago with with a young lady named Avins O'Brien. Many of you may be familiar with her work in the Liberty Universe, and she's very opinionated on the subject of abortion. And we did actually a little bonus segment before I even had a Lions of Liberty Pride to give bonus material to. I actually just did it. I sent it to some people who were kind enough to leave us an iTunes review uh, and a five-star rating. So uh, I'm actually going to unearth that audio and post that in the Lions of Liberty Pride. We actually had an, an off-air discussion for 10 to 15 minutes about the subject of abortion when she was on the show last year. Uh, look forward to having her back one of these days here, but until then, you can hear myself and Avans discuss the topic that you're going to hear today with my guest. Let's get to it. My guest today has been with me on this show a couple times before over the years. He is a professor of economics at Loyola University in New Orleans, and he is a senior fellow at the Ludwig von Mises Institute. I'm pleased to welcome, once again, Professor Walter Block. Professor Block, are you ready to roar? I'm ready to – well, I won't roar, but I'll meow. Meow! <laughs> we'll take it. Well, I've talked to you a few times before, and I'm pretty sure by the end of this, it's going to feel a little more like a roar than a meow. But we'll see. We'll see. 
Uh, now, Professor Block, I brought you on today to discuss a topic that in over 300 episodes of the show, I've only barely touched upon a couple of times, and that is the always controversial topic of abortion. And I, I think your work on this topic has been somewhat unique in that you are uh, attempting to sort of reconcile the two mainstream political sides on the abortion issue and filter them through a libertarian viewpoint. And I believe you are, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the originator of this concept of evictionism that we're going to discuss today. Yes, I think I am. I don't know of anyone who beat me to it. I think I'm the first to really publish this and speak about it. I've been speaking about it for many, many years. I think my first publication on it was in the 70s, but I'd, I'd have to look it up. I could look it up. The deal is as follows. We libertarians are just as divided as is the uh, as are non-libertarians. You have uh, Murray Rothbard, um, who is a on the left, if I could put it in those terms, who is a pro-choice person. He is totally pro-choice. On the left, when it comes to the abortion issue, sure. He's probably about as extreme on the pro-choice side as you could be. Right. And you have Ron Paul, who is probably as extreme. Uh, That's why I meowed, because I'm neither, I'm not roaring. (laughs) Both of those guys are roaring. I'm a moderate. I'm a pussycat here. I'm just trying to... uh, Trying to please everybody. Right. That's it. And on the right, if I can use such a term in such a context, you have Ron Paul, who is about as pro-life as you can be. And you can't get more libertarian credentials than Ron Paul and Murray Rothbard. They're each, uh, they don't walk on water. They run on water. They skip on water. They do ballet on water. They are magnificent. They are our leaders. Uh, uh, I revere both of them. And uh, they're both wrong. In my view, uh, they're too extreme. I'm the moderate here. That's why they call me Walter Moderate Block. If, if one of them was right, you wouldn't have had to, to do all this work here. That's right. Neither one is right. Both are wrong. And are uh, as are all people who are pro-life or pro-choice. They're all wrong. And I trace this to uh, the paths that Murray and Ron have laid out before us, namely private property rights. What else do we have? We're libertarians. We have uh, private property rights based on homesteading, and we have the non-aggression principle, and maybe we have uh, free association, and that's all we got. And then we have to apply it to uh, to abortion, to immigration, to minimum wage, to drugs, to, to this, to that, to everything. And I'm trying to do it. What first inspired you to dig into this concept so deep? When, when did that, you first had the idea that you know neither of these sides are, are, are right, and I need to dive in and be the one to, at least not one of the ones anyway, to attempt to solve it from the libertarian viewpoint? Well, I think my first article on this was in 1969, which is probably before you were born, young. Definitely. Young. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't really remember. I'm getting senile. I don't remember. Uh I guess, I don't know. Uh, I guess I I try to apply libertarian theory to everything. And uh, this is one of the things that uh, challenges us. So I'm just, you know, trying to apply it. Well, fair enough. You certainly don't shy away from any subjects. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. Uh, That's true. Okay. So the deal is, you see, abortion, the problem with the word abortion or the problem with the concept of abortion is really two things. One is uh, eviction. And the other is killing. The two are very different. For example, the pro-life people say that the pregnant woman has no right to evict, namely take the fetus out of her before the nine months are up. Uh, I mean, obviously, once the nine months are up, uh, fine. But uh, the woman has no right to evict and no right to kill. The pro-choice people say she has a right to kill and she has a right to evict. And the two are very different. And I say... 
all pregnant women have a right to evict. None have a right to murder or kill. Now, if we adopt evictionism, which says that the woman at any time of pregnancy, whether it's a week, uh, the baby is a week old or eight and a half months old, she can evict, but she can't kill. At one fell swoop, we save all babies in the third trimester. Because right now you have this thing called partial birth abortion, where you take a baby who's, say, eight months old, and uh, really viable, perfectly, well, not perfectly viable, but it'd be better if the baby stayed in the womb another month. But what the heck? Uh, the baby is eight months old and it, it could live outside the womb. And if they induce um, premature uh, uh, birth, uh, the baby will live. And if they pull the baby out, like if the mother is sick or dying and they pull the baby out, the baby is viable. And yet these people... I use that word advisedly. What they do is they go in there, they suck the baby's brains out while it's still in the womb, and then they pull it out dead. Now, if you can come up with something more despicable than that, uh, <laughs> you to man, uh, I suppose dropping H-bombs um, uh, on people is worse, but uh, that's pretty, pretty bad. Right. So on, on the abortion spectrum, I, I think you, you would say it's safe to say that at, at a certain point, there is a point where you, you it's definitely is akin to murder because that's the only way to ha have it be an abortion if you're eight months in and you're killing the ch child or the fetus before it's removed. I mean, is, is that are you, are you trying to say that's that's a very clear cut case? In that, on that end of it? Well, that would be murder. Right. On the other hand, if you just evicted the baby and didn't kill it, at eight months, it's viable, so the baby will live. At two months, the baby is not viable at present medical technology. Notice, by the way, if I had to pick where my heart is, my heart is with pro-life. I'm clearly pro-life, and I favor human beings. I like human beings. I'm prejudiced. I'm biased in the favor of human beings. I'm a humanist. Uh, although not a left-wing humanist, but I, I favor human beings. I, some of them are my best friends, and uh, my wife and my kids are human beings, and I love them, so I'm pro-human. And I say that right now we pro-lifers are losing the battle. Right now, uh, abortion is allowed at any time. Forget about the fact that the government pays for it. That's just another um, uh, icing on the cake uh, negatively. But uh, you can uh, abort at any time. Abort means uh, kill and evict. Whereas if we adopt evictionism, right now we save the la all one-third of babies. Uh, that is one-third of fetuses because I assume fetuses are equidistant over the nine months. But as medical technology improves in 10 years, it might not be just the seventh, eighth, and ninth month, but the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth month. You know that in 100 years, it could be maybe the second through the ninth month. Uh, what I'm saying is that if we adopt evictionism, we pro-life types will eventually win the battle because medical technology will win it for us. Namely, no one is allowed to kill any fetus. It's murder. But anyone is allowed to evict at any time. It's very similar to what is the libertarian view on union strikes, labor union strikes. And the, the key to element there is to realize that a labor union strike really exists of, consists of two different things, one of which is legitimate, the other thing is, uh, is illegitimate. What's the legitimate thing in a labor union strike? A mass quit. Do you have a right to quit your job? Well, if you don't, then you're a slave. Just because you quit, does that mean I can't quit? No, we can all quit at the same time. So our labor union, we can all quit at the same time. And as far as libertarianism is concerned, labor unionism uh, strikes are legitimate if that's all they do. But then they do one other thing. 
And that is they set up a picket line around the the, the, uh, factory and they won't let raw materials in. They won't let finished products out and they won't let scabs take their place. Well, they use violence against innocent people. So that's illegitimate. So what I'm trying to say is, uh, by analogy to labor union strikes, is that the similar sort of a thing goes on here, and we have to strongly distinguish between a mass quit and a um, uh, and violence, and we have to strongly uh, distinguish between eviction, which is taking the fetus out and killing it, which is very very different. Whereas the current term of abortion doesn't make any of these distinctions whatsoever. Right. Nor does uh, the current term of labor union strike. It doesn't make that distinction, and yet. There is that distinction, and we libertarians or we social scientists have to make that distinction because it's a different thing, and and the the strike consists of two things, not one, and the abortion consists of two things, not one, namely removing from the fetus and uh, killing, and they're very different. Now, it's true that in the second through the sixth month or the for up until this for the sixth month, if you evict that baby, the baby will die, but it's still not murder because – I, uh, returning to private property rights, I ask, well, where is the fetus? And I answer, it's in the mother's womb. It's in the mother's body. And then I ask, well, who owns the mother's body? And I answer, by gum and by golly, it's the mother. Now take the case of rape. Woman is walking down the street. She gets grabbed. She gets impregnated. And now this, a person growing in her. And by the way, person to me is fertilized egg. Okay, well, let's let's just pause there for a moment because I think that this is an important point. Under your view of evictionism, I think you sort of base everything on the idea that once that egg is fertilized, that is now a life. Is that accurate? Not just a life, but it's a person. It's a human it's being. It's an individual. It's an individual human being with, with all the rights that you or I have. So you would say that the fetus, even without a developed brain, even without any sort of consciousness, any of that stuff, that doesn't have a factor into whether you consider that uh, the same as a fully grown individual like myself. Like the two of us are human beings with all the rights uh, that human beings have. So does the fertilized egg have it, even though the fertilized egg doesn't look like us yet. Because the sperm alone will not grow into a human being, and the egg alone will not grow into the human being, but that fertilized egg, if it's placed in the right environment, and by the way, you and I also have to be in the right environment. If we're 20,000 leagues below the sea, we're not going to live, and if we're on Mars, we're not going to live. We have a certain environment where we can live, and so does this young person. So I believe that life starts uh, with the fertilized egg. Now, in the Jewish tradition, uh, it starts when there's a heartbeat. Well, actually, in the Jewish tradition, uh, the fetus is viable when it graduates medical school, but that's just a joke. I'm, I'm kidding. I don't think fetus is viable even if it doesn't graduate from medical school. I would think so. <laughs> but uh, I think that it's a human being once it's a fertilized egg, even though it doesn't look that way yet. And uh, in a week or two, it's going to look like a salamander or whatever. I'm, I'm a little weak on uh, the timing here, but it doesn't matter. It's a human being because it's just a young human being and it's going to grow into a human being. I, I just want to focus on this a little more for a minute. So if you think that the fetus on like literally the, the first second that it's that the fetus is, is become a fetus, essentially, that the, the sperm and the egg meet together and, and that is now a fetus, that is a full human life with full rights in the in the libertarian sense in my view yes in your view okay now murray takes a very different view murray thinks that the the baby is a, a human being when it gets born and i say when it gets born it's just a change of address take a baby <laughs> one hour before and one hour after it gets born 
looks the same. Take you or I one hour before now and, and one hour after now, you're going to look roughly the same. I'm going to age more, but that's a different issue. The point is, <laughs> I think the distinction a lot of people make is that that baby an hour before it's born and an hour after, that's a fully developed human in the sense that it has some level of consciousness, it has a heartbeat, it has functioning organs, whereas that fetus on that first day, that first second, does not have any of those qualities. But you would say because that fetus is in the process of growing into that human later on, it is the exact same thing in terms of whether or not it's an individual. Would, would that be accurate? Yeah, look, when you're asleep or when you're unconscious, you too don't have all the characteristics that you now have that you're awake and, and functioning. Oh, life is so much more fun when I'm sleeping. Well, I don't know. goes on in my dreams, if only. (laughs) Well, that's a different issue. But the point is that, you see, Murray thinks that's when the person becomes a person, when it's born. I say, it's just a change of address because it's the same creature uh, an hour before or an hour after it's born. So when when, when is the real difference, not just the change in address, when that sperm hits that egg? Not when it touches it, but when it gets inside. Once the sperm is inside the egg, that's a human being with all the rights that any human being has. And every human being has the right not to be murdered. And no human being has the right to trespass. Now, let's get back to the rape. The woman is walking down the street. She gets grabbed. She gets impregnated. And she finds this human being growing in her. Well, if that's not a trespasser, I don't know what is. Now, it's true. It's an innocent trespasser. Uh, the, the, The guilty party here is the father of the child, the rapist. Right. The baby is totally innocent, but still it's a trespasser. Look, if I take you and you're unconscious and I put you in someone's house, you're a trespasser, even though you're innocent. Correct. Or if I hit a car with my car by accident, I'm an innocent violator of property rights. I'm innocent, but I violated property rights. Well, that baby is a innocent violator of property rights. It's a trespasser. He is a trespasser or she is a trespasser. And... What do we have to do with trespassers? Now, look, you have a garden and I step on your garden by mistake. Are you allowed to blow me away with a bazooka because I stepped on your garden? No. That'd be yeah. a little extreme. A little extreme. And I'm a moderate. Remember, meow. I'm not, I'm not roaring here. Moderate Walter is what I believe they call it. Walter you. Moderate Block is my name. <laughs> and what you have to do with me when I step on your garden, you have to say, sir, do you realize you're stepping on my garden? Please re- uh, desist, cease and desist. And I say, oh, sorry, I didn't realize. And I walk around, fine. If I say, I'm going to stay in your garden, whether you like it or not, you can now escalate. If you have a, a rubber bullet, you should shoot me with a rubber bullet. If you have a net, you should capture me with a net. Uh, only if uh, if I further attack you, and then you can shoot me with a, with a real bullet and kill me because I'm, a, I'm attacking you. So the idea is you have the obligation to remove me in the gentlest manner possible. Well, the woman who is a, a victim of rape has the obligation, the right to remove that baby because that baby is a trespasser. She has the obligation to do it in the gentlest manner possible, not by killing it, but by removing it. And when it's eight months old, the gentlest manner possible is, um, is consistent with its living, not, uh, not being killed. When it's uh, two weeks old, it's tough on the baby because it's a trespasser. And uh, the only person who has a right is the mother. Look, suppose the, uh, uh, we were on a ship and there was only one rowboat. And the rowboat uh, or the plank of wood can only support one of us, not both. Who would have the right to uh, hold the plank or the little rowboat? The owner, 
right? The owner, the owner. And if I'm the owner, I say, look, I'd like to keep you here, but uh, if we both hold on, you're gonna, we're both going to sink. So you know, please leave. Unless the owner fell over first, and it's just me and you left, and now, now I don't know. Now we got to fight over the rowboat. <laughs> well, well, that's a different issue. But suppose there's a clear owner, the as there is in the case of the mother and the baby. The mother is the owner of those premises, not the baby. The baby just got created a week ago. The mother is, uh, you know, 25 years old and she's owned her stomach or her womb or her body for 25 years. She's the rightful owner. She's the, and now we have a lifeboat situation because she doesn't want this trespasser. She doesn't want it in her. And I say, well, of course, most uh, um, pregnancies are not the result of rape. Thank God. The 1% or whatever, half percent, the fewest possible, but whatever the percentage is. But the point is that all babies have equal rights. They are equally human beings and they are equally trespassers if they're uninvited. Now, let's suppose that there's voluntary intercourse and now the mother wants to evict, not kill. She's a libertarian. She wants to evict, not kill. And the, uh, the criticism of my thesis is, well, look, she invited them in. Therefore, she has to keep them for nine months. No. I now invite you for dinner to come over to my house, have dinner. And I say, you know, after two hours, I say, you know, it's been nice uh, having you, but, you know, uh, I got to go to sleep. Please leave. And you say, well, no, I'm going to stay for nine months. No way, Jose. You, you can't stay for nine months just because I invited you in. Uh, I, I, I don't see it. Namely, I'm trying to make an analogy between I invite you for dinner and the mother who engages in voluntary sexual intercourse, even if she wanted to have the baby. And a lot of times pregnancy results from a broken um, a condom or uh, the, the rhythm method doesn't work or whatever it is. She didn't really want the baby. Look, suppose you open your window at night and I'm a burglar and I crawl in through your open window. Did that mean you invited me? No, it just means you open your window. It was hot. You open your window. You don't have an air conditioner. You have a fan. You want the window open. Just because a mother engages or a woman engages in uh, voluntary sexual intercourse doesn't mean she's inviting anyone anywhere. She might not want the baby. Uh, she might have a, a, what do you call it, that the women, an IUD or whatever it is, and it breaks. And now there's somebody inside of her. She didn't invite that baby in. Now, there is only one exception. The exception is you get a, 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 a couple that is infertile and they can have a baby. And what they do is they make a deal with the host mother. And the father gives, uh, or the mother, however, uh, gives the sperm or the, the, the um, what do you call it, the fertilized egg to the host mother and says, look, host mother, we're going to pay you uh, $100,000 uh, for nine months of your work. Your work will consist of just sitting there and, you know, taking care of yourself and getting pregnant. She's the only one that can't evict or it would be illegal for her to evict because she's been paid not to evict. And if she evicts, God forbid kills, but even if she evicts, she's violating the contract. But every other pregnant woman has a right to evict because she owns the property. And in that case that you cited, you would say that she doesn't have that right to evict because of, of a contract situation. She it's for, she formally ag agreed to accept that term for the length of the pregnancy, and therefore that, that would be a contract violation that would supersede her private property rights of, of her body. Right, because she gave up her private property rights. She rented out her body a portion of her body uh, for nine months. And, and if she uh, breaks the contract, she's a bad guy uh, from a libertarian point of view because she's in effect stealing or contract breaking. She's the only one that may not kill and may not evict. Every other pregnant woman may evict but may not kill. And that's roughly the evictionist theory. And 
I think that if somehow we could publicize it, which I thank you for now helping me do, this is the solution. And we libertarians could get on the map because we're the only ones that offer this solution. And yet a lot of libertarians disagree. And I have a whole uh, paper trail of, uh, of articles where I wrote this and somebody said, no, no, you're wrong. And then I said, no, no, you're wrong. And I'm going to come out with a book on this one of these days, getting all these articles put together. Great. And yeah, if you want to link to any of the articles you've done or that any that stand out in your mind, you know, you want to shoot those in the email to me afterwards, I can post those in the show notes for the show. So because obviously this is there are a lot of object- objections to issues like this. And uh, you, know, you can spend hours and hours and hours going down each and every one. Uh, we're not going to do all of that today. But I do want to press you on a couple of things here. Uh, I think one one thing that people might have is, is a problem with the analogy uh, that you put forward of, of, of the baby simply being a, tr- a trespasser uh, at, at sort of all points. Like, I'm curious, is there any point where, let's say the mother, she knows she's pregnant, she's gotten pregnant, she's not, she's decided not to abort that child, uh, has decided to keep it in her, has let it grow to the point where now it starts having feelings, now it has a heartbeat. Clearly, she is sort of consenting to the pregnancy, at least by what she's showing the world, by maintaining a pregnancy. Is there any point where you don't think she has the, the right to change that mind? I mean, is there any point where that consent basically gets, you know, I guess certified? I'm not sure what the word would be, but or do you actually believe that then through that entire nine months, she has the right to evict, like you said, to evict, not necessarily kill? Not kill at all. Look, I invite you for dinner and I'm expecting you're going to stay for an hour or two. And then you say, well, please, pretty please, can I stay longer? I need a place for a week. And I say, okay, you you can stay a week. You seem like a good guy. You're interesting. And now I've uh, consented to nine months? No, I haven't consented to nine months. I've only consented to a week. And now I come to you and say, hey, the week is up. It's been nice having you, but, you know, uh, please leave. I got, you know, I, I, I want other guests or whatever it is. I no longer want you in my house. I will, well, what if, what if, say, your house is, uh, we can go back to the, the rowboat or the ocean analogy, I guess. What if your house is uh, a boat? You live on a boat. You invited someone on your boat. Now you're out in the ocean and you're floating in the ocean and you decide you invited me on your boat, but you don't want me there anymore. Well, now if you kick me off the boat, I'm going into the ocean and I'm probably going to die. And you, people might argue that the same thing might be the case with the fetus where, yeah, maybe you decided at some point it's your body. You don't want it there anymore. But removing that fetus at, at a certain point, like you just discussed, at some point it is viable enough to live outside the womb. Uh, but let's just say this is way before that. You're now putting it into that harsh environment, just like the ocean would be for me. Uh, I'm not a great swimmer, so maybe harsher for, for me than others. Uh, you're putting that fetus into this environment where you know it will not be able to survive. So do, do you see any, any, what would be, I guess, what would be your response to that objection? Well, that's good objection. And many of my critics have launched just that objection. And I've got oh, five or six arguments against that. Let me give you uh, one or two. Uh, one of them is a thing called implicit contract. When I go into a, a restaurant and I order a cup of coffee uh, and I don't look at the bill or the, the menu, I just say, hey, give me a cup of coffee. And now you give me a bill of a million dollars for the cup of coffee. My view is you can't do that. Uh, I don't owe you a million because we have an implicit contract that the price of coffee is somewhere between 50 cents and five bucks in a favorite, famous restaurant or whatever. Simply because we live in a society where people generally know coffee doesn't cost a million dollars. It costs in that closer to the range you pointed out, maybe more here in L.A. Uh, Okay, five, a dollar to ten dollars, whatever it is. And this continuum, what about fifteen dollars? What about thirty dollars? What about fifty dollars? 
uh, I don't know. There might be some fancy place where it's actually 30 bucks for a cup of coffee, although I can't think of any offhand. Even it, it would not shock me if there was if there was at least one out here in Los Angeles, but <laughs> well, we have I'm not look for it. We have Commander's Palace here in New Orleans, which is the most expensive restaurant I think in town, and I don't think they charge you 30 for a cup of coffee. I wouldn't be surprised if they charge you $7 for a cup of coffee. But if they charge you a million dollars for a cup of coffee, I don't think you owe them a million. Because there's an implicit contract that if – now, I don't say that they can't price gouge. We libertarians favor price gouging. And if they uh, put a million dollars on on the uh, the menu, and not only on the menu, but they'd have to say to you, hey, you know, a cup of coffee is a million dollars. Are you sure you want it? Right. right. And if they did that, then okay, then you owe them a million dollars. But otherwise, not. Well, if I invite you on my airplane – and now we're at 30,000 feet. And I say, you know, it's been nice having you here. Your company is getting a little tiresome. You've been here a half hour. We're now at 30,000 feet. Please leave. And you say, well, how about a parachute? How about an oxygen mask or something? I say, no, sorry. Just leave because you're a trespasser. Well, I think there's an implicit contract that when I invite you uh, on my airplane that I'll do the best I can to get you down safely. I mean, if we're crashing uh, and there's only one parachute, uh, we'll share it or something like that. And the same on a boat. You can only swim two miles. You're a poor swimmer. We're now 500 miles out. Uh, I just can't say, please leave. I have to bring you back uh, to, to shore. There's an implicit contract. But for there to be an implicit contract, there have to be two people. At the time of sexual intercourse, when the supposedly the invitation took place, how many people were there? Forget about the father. There was only the mother. There wasn't the baby because it takes a little time for that sperm to go up the fallopian tubes or whatever tubes the uh, sperm is going up. I don't know how long it takes, a half hour or so, to get that sperm inside the egg. There's nobody within with whom to have an implicit contract at the time of sexual intercourse. And I insist, therefore, look, I'm all for implicit contracts, even though it's a, a gradation area. It's a continuum problem. You know, uh, how much does the cup of coffee have to be before it gets uh, wild? But there can't be an implicit contract between the mother and the baby at the time of intercourse because there was no baby. At the time when the, the father ejaculates into the mother, it takes, I don't know how long, 10 minutes, 15 minutes for the sperm to get there. Well, you, if you're going to have a, a contract, it has to have two people. Now, if the father makes a contract with the mother that, look, I'm giving you this sperm and I want to have the baby and I'm going to pay you $100,000 to have the baby, well, then there's not an implicit contract. That's an explicit contract. Namely, he's hiring her to have his baby. Fine. Then she can't evict. She can't – never can she murder. But she can't even evict because she's under contract. But the ordinary case of voluntary sexual intercourse, uh, the man and the woman get together. They have sexual intercourse. There cannot be any implicit contract like there is with me and you on the airplane or me and you on this boat. Because when I invited you on my boat or my plane, there was an implicit contract between the two of us. But when the woman had a sexual intercourse, there was no contract with the baby because there was no baby to have a contract with. Even if you assume that, uh, you know, usually you don't allow contracts for with minors. Uh, you need an adult. Uh, but I'm going overboard and saying, okay, you can have a contract with a fertilized egg. But there's no fertilized egg yet. So there can't be an implicit contract like there is between me and you on the boat or the plane, and therefore the boat or the plane uh, um, objection fails.
Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty, rock and roll. So I'm kind of just trying to picture absurd objections here or what might seem more absurd. So, I mean, let's go back to the boat. (laughs) Uh, We're on the boat. Uh, I've got my wife with me. You've invited the two of us onto the boat together uh, and we conceive of a baby on the boat. (laughs) And that baby was not part of that original contract. It does the fact that once that, you know, let's let's say we even, I guess it's a really long boat ride in my case. Uh, it's It's a nine month boat ride. We take the baby to term. Can you, can you, Walter Block, who never had an agreement with this baby, throw that baby who didn't even exist at the time of the initial contract with myself and my wife, can you take that baby and you know, throw it overboard. I congratulate you. I've never heard <laughs> that one. That is a good one. I mean, I've heard many objections. I've been doing this for years. Uh, I take my hat off to you. I know you've answered almost all of them, so I try, I try I, to work never, real hard to come up with a weird one. I never answered that one. <laughs> and it's a long boat cruise. It takes nine months. It's very long. We're just circling the, the world, I guess. Or uh, it's a spaceship and we're going to Mars. Well, I, th- I don't know how long it takes to get to Mars. Nine months. Uh, but what, we're going to Pluto. and that <laughs> Probably takes Probably long enough to have the baby. Yeah. Uh, we're going on a, a year and a half trip. And in, in the middle of the trip, you and your wife, uh, or at the beginning of the trip, you and your wife conceive. Nine months later, you got a baby. And I say, okay, baby, out. <laughs> I had an implicit contract with you and your wife, but not with uh, right. the baby. That's a good one. I'll have to come up with something. And if, if they had sex on the boat, you know, there was still not that baby to be con- contracted, you know, with until yes. once they're already on the boat, you know, until it like, turns into the fetus. I, I think this just shows how fertile imagination you have and how <laughs> clever you are. But I think I can squeeze out of this one. I don't know. I can just say, well, the implicit contract covers uh, babies, too. And I don't care if your wife has six babies, septuplets, it covers them all. Uh, I mean, this uh, in law, also make it a property issue, I suppose, and say just like you don't have the right to throw our trunk of clothes off the uh, off of the boat, even though maybe you didn't, you know, realize we would bring so many flannel shirts, and you hate flannel shirts. Uh, maybe you didn't realize we would have a baby, but you know, it's still our baby, so you can't just uh, implicitly. It's implied you can't just take our stuff and throw it over. Yeah, I think we can squeeze out of that one. But still, I congratulate you. I've well, never heard that. And I've been at this since, I think, 1969, but I'm not sure. And I've had many, many objections. And this is just brilliant on your part, and I thank you for it. But I, I don't think, you know, I think it's too weird to really overturn my theory. I'll take that compliment. I'll, I'll take too weird as a compliment, because that's, that's okay. kind of what we're shooting for here. <laughs> well, one more thing I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, because I know, I mean, I totally – 
I, I pretty much I think I, I am generally on board with with it conceptually with with the ideas of evictionism because I, I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, abortion in my life even before I, I was a libertarian. I mean, I, I was adopted as a child, so in my mind, I, I always said, "Well, why would anybody abort a child? Because you can just do what my parents did, my birth parents did, and just give the child to somebody else. That seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do." Uh, it's only when I started to think about things on a deeper libertarian level that I, I started to think, "Well." My my feelings about the fact that someone should have carried me nine you know nine months and given me away doesn't necessarily allow me to decide for every other female on the planet that I have to force them to do that same thing and and, and then so then I became sort of pro choice I guess for a little bit too and then you get to the obvious problems with that as well as you point out you know when you break down why both sides of this thing don't work really in the libertarian viewpoint but I think things do get a little tricky at some point because the, you know the, the general idea I think you're you're pointing out here is at some point that that child, that fetus, is viable outside the womb. So at that point, a woman can remove that that fetus but cannot take the action of killing it. So if the child, if the fetus, whatever you want to call it, the infant can live outside the womb uh, and can be taken care of, in that case, you would say that that's what should happen. They should they should at least make, I think you've said, like they should announce to the public, give give the public a chance, give someone, some organization a chance to take that baby, take that fetus once it's removed, when it does have some level of viability. Uh, let, let me stop you right sure. there, just for the moment. Uh, I think not only should the um, mother who has a baby of eight months or a baby uh, who's born and now is six months old, and she no longer wants to feed the baby, right. I think she has an obligation not to just say to the world, hey, well, it depends upon what saying the world means. But in my writing, what I said is she is absolutely obligated to go to an orphanage or a church or a synagogue or a hospital or a police station or a fire department or something and say, here's this baby. I no longer want to take care of it, whether it's pre-born or post-born. And uh, as long as there's someone in the world that's willing to take the take over the baby, that baby will live. Now, the problem with this is um, now we have positive obligations. Mm -hmm. And we libertarians look upon positive obligations the way uh, – uh, what is it? The Christian looks upon uh, – who's the one where if you show him the cross, he runs away, the, the monster? Um, oh, uh, Dracula. Dracula, right. I mean, we we uh, don't accept positive obligations. And here, um, having a positive obligation, namely that woman with an eight-month-old pre-born baby or a six-month-old post-baby, post-born baby, uh, is obligated. So, you know, is this a positive obligation? And I say no. And now I concocted this whole scheme. Let me show it to you. Uh, I call it the bagel or the um, – what's that thing? Uh Losing Green cheese? My, I don't know. No, bagel <laughs> or um, donut. Okay. And what I'm going to now do is draw a donut. And for those that listening to the podcast that might not realize, I can actually see Professor Block right now. We are on video chat here. Okay. There's, there's the donut. Got it. And you'll see that the donut has got a hole in it, A. Right. And B is the donut, and C is outside the donut. Can, okay. can you see that? Yep. Okay. And uh, the question that comes... Am I allowed to homestead in the format of the bagel? Namely, just be and leave the hole in the bagel, which is, say, one square mile, leave it empty. And I say, no, I'm not. I'm not allowed to do that. Why? Because I'm now controlling area A, which is, say, one square mile, and I never homesteaded it. But I'm preventing you from getting there because I assume there's no tunnels and no bridges and, and you're not a good pole vaulter. You can't jump over and, and there are no, no helicopters yet. 
Stefan Kinsella was uh, kind enough to call this the Blockian Proviso. I'm very proud of that. Not everybody has something named after him, but, but he was kind enough to name this after me. And I say you're not allowed to do that because you are precluding a person in Area C from coming into Area A. And even, and, but you didn't homestead it. And yet you're preventing person in Area C from coming in and homesteading it. I uh, was very friendly with a Hasidic rabbi, and he said that in the Talmud, Area B would have to allow a fence to be built, a fence, uh, not a fence, but a path, so that... And I'm going to take screenshots of these so people, everybody listening to the podcast can go to the show notes page for this, lionsliberty.com slash 315. I'll post some screenshots of these uh, these lovely diagrams that uh, Professor Block is drawing for me. Thank you. I don't like to brag, but I'm a great artist. Picasso has got nothing on me. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I fully believe that that is a donut I'm looking at, or a bagel, one of them. Okay, so you're not allowed to do that. Okay. Now, what I say is babies are not like land. You can't own them, but you can own the rights to, to be their guardian. How do you get to be their guardian? You get to be their guardian by feeding them and caring for them and diapering them and giving them milk and this and that and the other. Now, I have two kids. They're probably a little older than you. But when they were babies, if Bill Gates came over to me and my wife and said, hey, we can give your kids a better life than you can. And let's stipulate that he can because he's very rich. Does he have the right to take my babies from me? No. Because I am the owner, not of them, but I'm the owner of the right to be their guardian. How do I get to be the owner of their right, uh, the guardianship rights? By taking care of them. And I took care of them. My wife and I fed them babies and, you know, uh, was the guardian of them. So would, would that act of taking care of the baby and feeding it and building that expectation that that baby is going to continue to be fed, would, would you see that as sort of a, a, an implicit contract, even though um, the, the baby isn't at the point where it can verbalize these things? It can't, it can't physically say, yes, I, you you agree to feed me and I agree to, you know, stay here and follow a couple of rules or something. Uh, what, at what point, I guess, I mean, how long do you, do you got to feed the baby before, before you are definitely the, the one who is supposed to continue to feed the baby? Well, uh, I think, first of all, the babies of uh, six months old can't agree to anything. I exactly, mean, right. That's my point. They're too, too young and stupid <laughs> to agree to anything. Uh, uh, how long one day or one one milk the first I mean, morsel of, of food yeah as long as the the mother gives birth to the baby an ordinary birth no abortion or anything or no eviction and now she brings the baby home from the hospital and she feeds it and every day she feeds it and cares for it and diapers the baby and if the baby gets sick she brings it to the doctor uh one day uh i mean She's the mother of the baby, so she has the right to do it. If some other woman comes over and starts grabbing the baby, uh, you know, you had that King David, I think it was, when there were two women fighting over the baby, and one said, uh, the king said, break the baby in half right. to find out, you know, who, who really Probably the Probably not a libertarian solution for that well, one. Well, that it was, it was an implicit threat. Uh, <laughs> he wanted to find out who the real mother was, right. and the real mother said, no, 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 no. Don't cut up the baby. Give the baby to the other woman. And then the king or the judge knew that the, the mother who didn't want the baby cut was the real mother. So here you have the real mother. She brings the home, baby home from the hospital and she feeds it six hours. That's her baby. As long as she keeps feeding it so she doesn't have to feed it for any length of time, as long as she continuously cares for the baby, she is the owner not of the baby but the owner of the guardianship rights. So what I say is if she leaves the baby in the back room, 
and doesn't feed it anymore and doesn't go to the hospital or to the orphanage or the synagogue or church, she is precluding, she is forestalling, just as I would if I owned Area B and not Area A, I would be preventing you from getting Area A. Because you're, you're, you're not only ceasing to feed them and ceasing to meet that obligation, but you're also, let's say, keeping them in the house and not allowing others to come feed them as well is, is basically right. the point. So in effect, the analogy here is the baby is area A. So it's not a positive obligation. There are no positive obligations. If the mother doesn't take the baby to the hospital or the orphanage, whatever, she is guilty of precluding or forestalling. She is guilty of doing exactly what I would do if I homesteaded in the bagel or the donut format. So I want to have my cake and eat it. I want to make sure that babies are not allowed to die in, in the back room when the mother doesn't want to feed them anymore, that she has to bring it to the baby to the uh, hospital or the orphanage. And I don't want any positive obligations either. So I concocted this bagel in order to have my cake and eat it. Beautiful bagel. It, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you've heard of the beautiful mind. This is the beautiful bagel. <laughs> <laughs> so – uh, that's the Blockian proviso. You see, Locke had a proviso also. Namely, you, ha you, uh, you could only own land as long as there wasn't uh, sufficient for other people. We libertarians reject the Lockean proviso, but hopefully we will accept the Blockian proviso. <laughs> Professor Block, one more thing I wanted to bring up because I, this is an objection I've heard when I've presented this argument to others. Uh, I guess is that you know at some point when a baby is premature, um, you know maybe it's the maybe we're talking about the four month, five month, six month. I'm not the doctor. I don't know. But I know that a lot of children do have health complications if they're born too premature and removed from the fetus too prematurely. So I'm curious what your thoughts would be about maybe the gray area where uh, maybe a, a child can be removed from the fetus. It is viable in the sense that it can live, uh, maybe if it has to go on a, a ventilator or, or something like that. But that child will then suffer health consequences, let's say blindness or something like that. Um, I mean, how does, does evictionism in your, or your view of that uh, account for that at all? I mean, if you say, you know, have you, have you assaulted the child if you've caused blindness by early removal from the, from the fetus? I mean, what, what's your thought on that? Well, my view is, and again, this sounds callous, but it's callous to evict the baby at two months and the baby dies. It's less callous to evict the baby at six months and the baby is blind or malformed in some way, can't walk or whatever. At least it's alive better than dead. I mean, I'd rather uh, have no legs than be dead. I mean, legs are just a convenience. I can get around on a, in a wheelchair. Uh, it sounds callous, but the property rights, uberalis, property rights are very important for the libertarian theory. And the mother has the right to evict at any time, never to kill. One more thing I was wondering is, I, I know you were you knew Murray Rothbard back in the day for many years, and you know Ron Paul today as well. These are the two sort of extremes, examples that you provided of an extreme pro-life and an extreme pro-choice. Uh, I'm wondering if either of those two gentlemen or anybody else in the libertarian you know circles that you've come across uh, has been influenced by your evictionism theory in any way. Obviously, Obviously, you know, I know Ron Paul is still very, very pro-life, but uh, I'm just wondering if either of them or just anybody in general has had uh, thoughts to the point that you've seen uh, your theories influence them at all. Yes, uh, there are dozens or hundreds of people who are now evictionists. Uh, in particular, they are blockheads in general. They, they agree with other views of mine. So they call themselves blockheads to indicate followers of mine. Uh, there, but I would say there are at least dozens and maybe uh, scores or hundreds of people who are now evictionists, thanks to my writing, because I think I'm the only one writing on this from the evictionist point of view. There are many people who write uh, critically, but uh, libertarians who write critically. 
so I, I think I have influenced some people. Ron Paul has never responded. Murray Rothbard is one of my critics. And I, uh, in one of my articles, I uh, uh, rip into Murray as best I can. I mean, you know, Murray, Murray is the man. Murray is Mr. Libertarian. But he's not perfect. Uh, this isn't the only area where I disagree with Murray. I've disagreed with him on two or three other areas, but I revere the man. Uh, I, I think he is uh, the most brilliant libertarian ever to uh, exist, period. And the second best economist ever to have existed, first best Mises. Uh, that's pretty good, but he's still an imperfect human being, as are we all. And uh, you came up with an argument that I had never heard about before. You know, you and your wife have a baby on our nine, uh, ten-month trip or whatever. Uh, so we all have to be modest. And um, uh, I've been wrong on things, and I've changed my mind. I have no mind. idea why we decided to conceive on, on that long journey. It's, it seems like an, an odd decision, but, you know, we got caught up in the heat of the moment, I guess, and just, you know, had to go for it. Oh, no, no, it was purposeful to get at me. <laughs> yeah. We're going to prove, prove block right or wrong here, and we're going to use our baby as the, as the tool. Right, right. Our imaginary baby. Okay. Well, you Walter, it's... Wife, you and your wife are pretty nasty people. <laughs> I guess so. We have we have some really strange strange thoughts about conception, but uh, no. Walter, it's been an absolute blast having you here today. I mean, this is an issue that I think is is. I mean, I think even you coming to this conclusion, this invictionism theory, probably took a lot of deep thought and and, and introspective because it, it is. I think. Anybody honest about the issue will agree it's just, it's not an easy issue. Uh, it does take a lot of thought, and I I don't think there's ever a point where uh, everyone's going to agree on it. It's uh, emotional for a lot of very obvious reasons, but uh, I think the best we can do is try to think very deeply about it and come up with as many objections to each other as possible, and uh, hopefully you know that'll clarify thoughts for people. So that's the point of this interview, not to uh, necessarily change anyone's minds overnight, although that's always nice, but to introduce the topic and hopefully get people thinking about it differently. Thanks for having me on your show again. It's always a pleasure. Of course, Walter. Before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to promote or any any projects you've got coming up? I know you mentioned the possibility of uh, turning your evictionism work into a book, but feel free to plug away away on anything you've got. Oh wait, I have something to brag about. Brag away. I usually give um, lectures at universities. I've been to I don't know the last few times I was at um, some place in Pennsylvania. I was in uh, Princeton. I I go around to various universities. People invite me. Usually the Libertarian Club at the university. And the last year or so, what I do is I yell at the audience. I say, "What's the matter with you people? Why aren't there any protesters? Where have I failed you? Why other people get protested at? Uh, other people get shouted down, but nobody's shouting me down. You're just letting me speak. What's the matter with you people?" Finally, I've achieved this invitation. Really? I was invited to speak at Ramapo College in uh, New Jersey, uh-huh. and uh, I got disinvited. I was going to speak on not an innocuous subject. I was going to speak on private property rights in privatizing roads, uh, oceans, and uh, space, which is, you know, it's controversial, but it, it's not something that the lefties are going to go. It's not a typical the- emotional uh, issue that gets people fired right. up, like abortion, right. say. Right. So what happened was um, some of the kids Googled me, uh, the students at Ramapo College, they Googled me. And they found out that, according to the New York Times, I favor slavery. All right, yeah. I mean, that that ties right into your lawsuit you've got going on here still. Right, and I'm suing them over, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, I believe uh, it's a defamation. Defamation, right. And uh, But 
they don't know about the suit. All they know is that the New York Times, uh, who they trust, said I favored slavery. And what they told the person who invited me is that if I come, they will make sure that I don't speak. So I got disinvited. So I'm very proud of myself. My career is uh, on an upward trajectory. I, I'm now been among the disinvited. Charles Murray, move over. Ann Coulter, move over. I'm, I'm part of the pack. Ben Shapiro, I, I, get out of the way. We got right, a, a I, new disinvitee I, in town. I'm the new disinvitee, so I, I don't like to brag, but I have to brag about that. I am a disinvitee. Little applause wouldn't be out of. Uh, <laughs> I think that's worthy of bragging about in this day and age. Absolutely, if, yeah. If, it seems like if you're not being protested, you're you're probably not saying much interesting at this point. So uh, you're not doing your job if the lefties aren't uh, uh, threatening to uh, not allow you to speak. Right. Well, Walter, it's been a pleasure as always, and uh, you know we'll try to have you back again uh, one of these days. To uh, we'll find another interesting, uh, crazy topic to dive into, or maybe you'll come up with an answer to, to my wild, wild, uh, you know, nine month journey uh, <laughs> exception here. <laughs> well, I tried. Uh, I don't know if I fully succeeded, but I, I, I think I shuffled it under the rug <laughs> under implicit contracts. But I'll try to do better. All right, fair enough, Walter. Keep up the great work, and we'll we'll be in touch. Take care of yourself, and thanks again for having me on your show. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation there with Professor Walter Block. This is an issue that I, I can't say I was avoiding. I just you know, never really got around to doing a, a real deep dive on until now. So that was the first person I thought of was Walter Block when I knew I wanted to do a show on abortion because I think he has put forward the most detailed attempt at trying to reconcile this subject, reconcile this pro-life pro-choice divide that we're, we're given as the two choices here and at least try to apply the principles of libertarianism, the ideas of individual rights to them. Uh, I don't know if I agree with every step of his logic along the way, I, and, I, and frankly I think it's a very difficult thing to really parse out because how can we really say when this little group of cells goes from becoming that group of cells to a functioning full life with full individual rights? Uh, I don't really know how we can say that. Well, Walter decides that it's the, 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 the second that the sperm and the egg meet. Um, that seems reasonable in, in some way, because that sperm and egg having met together, that is the beginning of human life, and left in the womb will turn into a fully individualized, fully realized human being. So uh, I certainly am sympathetic with, with his view on that. Uh, I, I do think abortion, like I said, is one of the more difficult issues. And uh, as you guys will hear, as the Pride members will hear in the bonus segment here in just a few minutes, whenever you log off, just click on over to your Podbean app, pull up your Lions Liberty Pride bonus material, and you will see uh, my discussion with Avins O'Brien from last year where we talked about the subject of abortion for 10 to 15 minutes, and you really did get to hear it from the perspective of a libertarian woman. So I think that is uh, another good view to get out there. I do think that no matter what your views on abortion, I respect almost all sides of, of the issue, except I really don't respect the concept that we have to fit the entire discussion into this pro-life pro-choice paradigm, because uh, neither of those positions really fully get to the core of the matter and uh, the heart of the matter, which at the end of the day is the individual rights of the mother versus the individual rights of the fetus. I think that is really the conflict that we need to be discussing and addressing if we're going to get to the bottom of this. So I hope this episode at least gave you some food for thought. You will get a lot more food for thought by listening to all of the shows here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, like I said, this Wednesday, Brian McWilliams is is going to smack you in the face with some electric liberty land and John Odermatt will continue to dig into that broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. Until next time, folks. Live long and live free. <laughs>